Welcome to the Fire Room. Today's special episode will be hosted by my colleague Levi and myself, Kaz. We will be discussing a famous Hellenic writer named Polybius, who wrote about the Roman system of government. We will then tie that into how it works and how it is still relevant today. For today's roundtable discussion, we're going to be talking about Polybius and a lot of how our founding fathers and the framers of our constitution were well read on Polybius and how they were influenced by Polybius. Do you have any opening thoughts you'd like to start us off with? Uh, well, colleges at that time heavily focused on the classics, which is how they were exposed to Polybius at the first time and why they were specifically chose some of his ideas over others. Oh well, yeah, I mean, you gotta look at the classics were almost required at that time throughout a lot of even the Renaissance period of, oh, what well, we rediscovered and had kept for us books by Cicero, Livy, Polybius, and that was a heavy focus in a lot of schools and universities of the era, especially like in Oxford, Cambridge, and England, to have a massive focus on the classics. Um, Montesquieu is going to be another one I've read a lot of the Founding Fathers had focus on, though Polybius, of course, is right there with Montesquieu, the history, especially book six. Now, Montesquieu is very heavily influenced by Polybius, wouldn't you agree? Uh, absolutely, yes. Especially the sixth book where he goes into the Senate, he goes into the, the government. Separation of powers that exactly. Montesquieu championed, yeah. Especially the checks and balances, which is a very heavy key to what a lot of Polybius brings up. Is from some of his earlier books, especially like books one through five, you see a little bit of this, where he discusses almost an, Arist oh, sorry, an Aristotelian view on the governments, especially Greek government, when it comes to mob rule coming from democracy, monarchy becoming a tyranny, and how aristocracy will also just lead to devolve into what he called oligarchy. Yeah. The, the despotic system. Yeah. Basically, that's the, the, the despot coming to power. I mean, you look at a lot of our founding fathers, it looks like some of their anti democratic ideas, at least pure democracy is what we see in Athens, comes from Polybius and other. Roman writers even, like Cicero, talking about how democracy inevitably becomes mob rule. I mean, take a look at Benjamin Franklin's um, controversial statement about democracy being two wolves and a lamb discussing what's for dinner. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of quotes from the Founding Fathers, so I'm sure you have a few 
Um, exactly. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said, uh, democracy is 51% of the population oppressing the other 49%. So, exactly. I mean, you see a lot of this anti-democracy, pure democracy, that get our, our terms straight here, uh, the kind of what we see in Athens, come from the classical writers and some from Montesquieu himself. Um, do you think that this dislike of, of course, monarchy because the British crown oppressing the American colonists, no doubt, but this distaste for a true oligarchic and democratic form of government stems from the classics, or do you think that this is also a lot of their own ideals shaping this hatred as well? Um, definitely a lot of it is their own. Uh, they were just oppressed by a king who taxed them unfairly. And then they didn't know what to turn to because every other system of government throughout history has essentially collapsed or become tyrannical in some way. Yeah, I mean, you have the Athenian mob rule that's discussed. You have the problems with monarchy that are obvious overstep. You have tyranny, like what we see with King George. And it wasn't just taxation. You see a lot of it was putting in laws and the removal of autonomy from the colonies that these colonists once had this massive freedom and now they're under direct yoke of the king caused a lot of resentment. So you have the tyranny aspect. And then of course in oligarchy, you have, they're not held accountable by the people. No, so I mean, not. an under system of government that we see, the Senate, the House of Representatives, which form the legislative branch, you have the executive branch with the president. Both are elected by the people themselves. The legislative is able to make the laws, but that's kept in check by the judiciary, which interprets the Constitution and makes sure they don't overstep their constitutional bounds. And then, of course, the president leads the military as the commander-in-chief. He's able to veto laws. He has a lot of powers, but it's kept in check by the legislative branch and the judiciary. Now, comparing it to Rome, especially, you have the judiciary in Rome was a part of the Senate. It was one of the Senate's many jobs. The Senate itself was the advisory body controlled the finances, as we all know, and the consuls. This is a judicial system as well. Exactly. The consuls were the monarchy, two monarchs in charge of Rome. They were all kept in balance by the third branch, which was the only one able to pass laws, which was the tribal assemblies, the people's assemblies. The people themselves, a democracy, if you will, elected their representatives for them. Well, in our government, yes, but in Rome it was very much so, they were the ones who voted on the laws and actually decided who became consul. And if you look at the Roman government compared to ours, yeah, there's a lot of changes. The judiciary is much more powerful and is able to determine if a law goes against the Constitution or not. Of course, the legislative is the one that creates the laws which the president can shoot down or the Supreme Court can bring down being unconstitutional. And you see this new form of checks and balances. 
which partially is influenced by the works of Montesquieu, partially influenced by the works of Cicero, partially influenced by Montesquieu. But I think a lot of it also comes from their own ideas of what they've seen going on. Monarchy isn't working very well. The few republics that are out there, like their very own aristocratic. Yeah, it becomes a very much an oligarch, like Venice. Then you look at Great Britain at the time, which was a monarchy, but it did still have a parliament, still did have House of Lords that comes from the Magna Carta and other documents of its time. So, I mean, we're looking at... So, when they were looking at it, the, the best system they saw was Britain's, which had a king and the parliament keeping each other in check. But they wanted to remove... But they wanted it to be more decentralized, so they exactly. turned to a different system. And also wanted to put some restrictions on the king. And a lot of this was shaped by the humble George Washington, if you will, on how he set term limits unofficially, set of our usage of president instead of your highness or anything to that effect. I mean, a lot of this is the decision to create the few system while pulling back on the power and authority. And, of course, the Civil War changed a lot of that and created a lot more centralization. But today, we still have a lot of those influences. The same, the same basic idea. Exactly. And without the works of Livy, Cicero, and Polybius, I don't think we would see the same influence to our government. Yeah, it's possible we could still see our government form, but... You're not going to have the same checks and balances, I don't think. I think a lot of the ideas behind check and balance comes from the ideas of Plibius that without Plibius influencing Montesquieu and without having Montesquieu and Plibius influencing our founding fathers, we don't have the founding fathers. I mean, I could be wrong here, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect, but what do you think about that? Uh, about that level of importance to those two men. Oh, absolutely. They were uh, extremely influential in crafting how the founding fathers thought about power itself. I think one quote from Montesquieu was, the only thing that keeps power in check is power. Exactly. And a lot of that stems from Polybius and Aristotle's view of the cyclical nature of countries. And I think that it all stems down to the idea that all of these systems eventually break down to some form of tyranny. And without having something to keep them in check, to keep them from abusing that power, we lead to tyranny, to either mob rule, despotic rule, or the role of the few that tyrannize the many. Absolutely. I mean, without the works of Polybius, without the formation of the Roman Republic, and so would you actually, from the outside looking in, look at the Roman government and write about it, I don't think we have the same influences to our government. I think it needed to be a Greek or a Gaul or someone from the outside looking in to take, to take a look at the full picture. Exactly. Without having the, the objectivity of someone from the outside looking rather than just a Roman writing about their government. Because they're going to write... Great. Yeah. Great. Uh, propagandist. Even, exactly. Just look at Livy. Livy a little bit 
<laughs> exaggerate some of the great weaknesses and strengths of the government. I mean, without having an outside looking in, a lot of things said about the Roman government would probably be taken with a grain of salt. You probably wouldn't have this same ideas that come from people like Aristotle also added in. Because I think a lot of our governments are Aristotelian. But I think that's the time we have for now. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for tonight. So I would like to thank you all for listening into our wonderful podcast. And before we go, I'd like to close out with a few really good quotes from our founding fathers on the perils of direct democracy. First one is from Alexander Hamilton. Real liberty is neither found in despotism or the extremes of democracy, but in moderate governments. Then the second one I have is from George Washington himself. It is one of the evils of democratic governments that the people, not always seeing and frequently misled, must often feel before they can act right. But then, evil of this nature seldom fail to work their own cure. I have two quotes as well, one from Thomas Jefferson. Democracy is 51% oppressing the other 49%. And I have one from John Adams. Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. Happens. Happens.